and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Today, we're talking about Guillermo del Toro's The Devil's Backbone. Today, we are joined by Miss Amanda Espinosa. I'm back after our 20 movie marathon on Halloween. <laughs> We'll do it again. We'll do it she, again. Had a, she had to rest. Yeah. She just woke up. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so Amanda, tell the people what scary stuff you've been watching reading lately. So they call, it was wild. I think a lot of people are watching it. It was called uh, the 2020 presidential election. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've learned so much about math and geography and local counties that I am so ready for that trivia night. Um, but uh, besides the election, I've been watching more psychological thrillers. I don't know what it is that I'm really kind of getting away more from the gore, but going towards the thriller of the, the possibility of these things actually happen, maybe because I'm cooped up you know, during <laughs> quarantine. But I recently watched Irresistible. I don't know if anybody's seen that with Emily Blunt and Susan Sarandon. Oh. Uh, highly recommend because Mary Poppins getting crazy. <laughs> But yeah, I really enjoyed those kind of those thrillers and uh, just watched My Wife, Aubrey Plaza uh, and Black Bear. So highly recommend that one as well. Uh, we are registered at Home Depot. Uh, the way, you know. Um, When's the wedding? Uh, you already- whenever she uh, finds out that I'm going to marry her. So <laughs> registered at Home Depot, Chipotle and the local Kroger. So uh going well but yeah i'm excited to be here i'm excited to be back we're excited to have you back uh what have you been getting into lately as an artist like where can they support you what can they see you oh my gosh you know i'm on facebook add me that's great unless you start sending me like farmville requests i'm not sure what pay you need Catherine. but uh instagram i am on there so come and find me and you know I'm just directing I'm writing a lot right now trying to get a film ready and maybe a podcast with some people uh so yeah kind of staying busy and working at my theater and yeah but I'm on those uh platforms so if you have a question or want to hang out not in person though you know on zoom that sounds great we'll do that (laughs) (laughs) wife Aubrey Aubrey, we're gonna figure this out y'all should have a conversation I feel (laughs) yeah we need to talk we need to talk (laughs) It's time. All right. Should we get down to some general thoughts on the devil's backbone? Yes, please. Absolutely. So one, this is a, you know, as most of Del Toro's films are, it's just gorgeous. It's gorgeous to watch. Even like the nasty gore stuff was still pretty in <laughs> some weird way. I do have, uh, I was watching mine on a, my um, Blu-ray Criterion collection. So it had a ton of like special features and stuff. And so I watched some interviews with Guillermo Del Toro and at least as of, I think it was in 2013, um, he, he said that this um, and Pan's Labyrinth were his favorite films that he has done. And he also considers this to be his first film, even though I guess he did something before this. I mean, he's just not as proud about it, proud of it, I guess. <laughs> uh, and he does, he, uh, this, I found this really interesting that he sees both The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth as companion films, like... Hmm. I, you know, they're very different, but I, it's been a while since I've watched Pan's Labyrinth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that during the Spanish Civil War as well? Yes. So that's like, what, the late, that's 1930? Yeah, it's like, late, late 1930s. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's 33 to 37. I don't know. There was also a special feature with a historian talking about the film and how it ties into the Spanish Civil War. So I learned, I didn't know that much about the Spanish Civil War. Mm-hmm. So I got a history lesson as well. Uh, but I'll uh, plug those things in as we go along. But um, yeah, for those of you that don't know, the Spanish Civil War was basically, uh, they had a democratically elected government. And then the people that used to be in charge, like the big powerful people, said, nah, uh, 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 you can't do that. And so then the people were like, now nah, fuck you. And then they started fighting and it ended up, they thought it was going to be just a really quick uh, fight, but it ended up being like four years, something like that. I'm not a historian. Don't uh, <laughs> don't come at me if I mention, if I'm so, wrong. It sounds so relevant to <laughs> 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 <Right>? <laughs> 
But like that was sort of one of my general thoughts is that this was like a history lesson and a film, not a movie, a film, which I appreciate because in America, we don't get films or actual history lessons. Mm. <laughs> so of course, we're not going to be familiar with like what was done in other countries at the same time and or how we were a part of that in bad ways. Because we can't get a halfway decent history of this own continent. <laughs> this is just, it feels like part two of America Could Never. And this is another movie that we just would not get here. We do not do the emotional horror movies that give us catharsis. We give Becky with the big booth right out of the bathtub and say that's art. And if we challenge it, then we get a bunch of chats saying, how dare we? We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, agree. You know, and it's so... Well, Trent, that you were talking about this being a companion film, because I think that was one of the notes I wrote about, is that we were getting so much information, and like Sherry was saying, commentary of what's occurring during this time period, and seeing the effects of he's saying, you know, Pan's Labyrinth is also happening at this time, you know, we get to see the wealthier side of people in the military and, you know, what their power is versus people in the middle of nowhere, and the effects of this war and um, the toll of it, of everything that's going on. It, aren't the characters in Pan's Labyrinth? Aren't they on the uh, like the other like? Because these were the people that were with the um, like the rebels or like the people the, the the common people. And wasn't isn't Pan's Labyrinth like the other side? Like, aren't they the rich and powerful people? They're the rich and power, yeah. And it's their daughter. That's really interesting that it's, you're seeing it from both sides of that of the war. Yeah, and through a child's perspective too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, the survival because you know you're. <laughs> Yeah, that puts a different tone on it because if it's adults, I'm like, you know, you can do better. And you put a child, <laughs> you know, and you're, you put a child there and it's like that innocence of what's happening in the, you know, of war mm-hmm. and what the cost of it's, you know, doing to us and seeing it through a child is like, okay. I think it's also in part because uh, people are as a rule are just kind of assholes. And so a lot of the times when you see somebody who is in turmoil or suffering or being abused, a lot of people can be like, this person made choices to get there, which is why we have so many people who can't have empathy in this country when it comes to poverty and homelessness and stuff. And when it's a child, you can't be like, they made choices. <laughs> so you have to be like, oh no, maybe things aren't wrong. Right, well, and I think that like, I think that you also get people, cause like if, they, if especially in Pants Labyrinth, more so than that than in this, cause I think you can latch on to some of the adults actions earlier because they are fighting for their own right to choose their government and all that stuff but in in pan's labyrinth if you didn't have the child i I think you might alienate an audience before you get because in that movie you do see adults behind it behind enemy lines trying to like sabotage the rich and powerful but you wouldn't get there if you didn't have i wouldn't care does that make sense like Mm -hmm. So I think having the child gets an audience connected. And so then then you can see all the intricacies of what's really happening, the humanity of both sides. Also, though, and this is like one of my notes, so that sucks. But also, <laughs> the, these two notes were a film we've watched. I'm not super sure about Pants Labyrinth because it's been forever. But like the two we've watched, the work of Devil's Backbone, have lots of literary references that like t- children should be learning in school, whether or not they do, because if they're in America because we don't read here. But like the orphanage had the Peter Pan illusions and then it was like, you're like Wendy. And this definitely had like the Count of Monte Cristo, which was also like revenge and imprisonment. And also it gave us that whole Lord of the Flies when they come for him with spears at the end. And so I kind of wonder if, because they're both set in orphanages and they're both like a lot of young boys. And so I kind of wonder if that's Del Toro's way of being like, when I was a kid, I would have liked that scene this with mm. people who look like me. But I won't give you that. I'll just give you a psychological horror movie with emotions said yeah well let's get down to it but since we're all kind of getting into our our actual notes on the movie we all have notes about the the idea of what a ghost is in this film and i i really love this about del toro's film and latinx films in general is the idea that the ghost isn't necessarily an, an an evil thing. I said this on last week's on last week's episode about the orphanage as well. They don't use the ghost as like the scare. I mean, it, it is scary. You know, it, it's it's that Spanish Gothic feel. The idea of what the ghost is, and Shrey, you have the, the the actual line written down, which I think is a gorgeous ending to this movie. Um, and beginning, it set the tone. And it also made me think about how we've come to think of ghosts as bad things. Um, we're like, oh no, it's haunted, can't go there. But usually ghosts are people who were murdered. Um, 
So why are we putting the impetus on the dead people who are victims? That's another societal like issue we got. I'm not gonna name names, but Chad did some stuff and now we got ghosts. And uh, so like, I love this quote. I'm gonna try and get through it. I, I have not read in a while because I'm not an actor. <clears throat> <laughs> what is a ghost? A tragedy condemned to repeat itself time and again. A moment of pain, perhaps something dead, which still seems to be alive. An emotion suspended in time, like a blurred photograph, like an insect trapped in amber, a ghost. That's what I am. And so we start off with empathy for the ghost, even though we're like, it's a horror movie. Those yeah. little boys are scary. And the kids are afraid of him. But he's like, no, I just want revenge on the one who wronged me. Will you assist? Will you help me? So again, we have a beautiful horror film. You know, I'm just thinking about it. Like as I'm going through the films and you guys are talking, Del Toro has a beautiful way of showing us that not everything has to be alive for us to find comfort and wisdom from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you don't have to go to the the old wise adult, you know, that there's that, you know, the ghost may have something. Pan's library does the same thing. You know, the orphanage, there's like this comfort and this magic that he creates of, you know, in the books too, we find our, our, our knowledge and our growth and, and they don't necessarily have to be alive. So I really love that he's telling that story, what a ghost means. And I, I wonder if it has to do, you know, you know, the differences in like the American depiction of ghosts and Del Toro's depiction of ghosts. I wonder if it has to do with the culturally, how, how Latinx people respect their, their ancestors and have a deep respect for those that have gone before them. So they don't see this as inherently a bad thing if, a, if there is a ghost. They see it as something they can respect and learn from, much like they would if it were like the ghost of their great-grandma, Frida. <laughs> oh, 100% as a Latina. Um, but, you know, it's like a rule of three, really, in my culture that I've noticed. You know, we the first death is, you know, when you leave. Um, when you die this fall and then the second is the when the body's gone and then for us the third is when we stop remembering you know so that's the three deaths it's like our, you know the uh when we talk about death or have known by family is like we lose the person when we stop remembering and so it, it's interesting that these are kind of keep going like how we need to keep remembering them and i'm telling you their story so that they can keep living so yeah i might yeah in the culture we do a day of the dead and I, i've never been afraid i've always been um because those were lives that were before me and they lived and they're somewhere else in this crazy wherever we are you know in this other place and so i think that's why i'm so in love with these films because there's such a beauty um to a ghost to a, to the life before us so yeah i i do feel like so i used to say that ghosts scared the crap out of me but and they in those uh, paranormal movies still do, but it's not the ghosts that scare me; it's the demons. <laughs> oh yeah, that's different. That's, different. that's real. That's not a beautiful victim who just wants my assist. That's Satan's spawn. <laughs> yeah, you, you gonna be acting crazy? No, no. no. <laughs> no. Ghosts are never possessing people. That's not what they do. They, they just try to pups around to be like, hi, go forget me. They just gotta say something. They gotta say, hey, hello, here I am. I got something to say. <laughs> I, have, I have a friend who has, he believes two ghosts, Josh. Mm. Yeah, he's got, he believes he has two ghosts um, in his house. He, I, I assume he's purchased. <laughs> but he may be grinning. I have not asked him about his living situation. But he has like two ghosts. I forgot their names. We think that they might be a couple. And they just sometimes hang out or go like, do a little something to be like, hey, could you not? <laughs> and him and his job is fine. It's also interesting because in this in this film specifically, I don't it's not really in the other ones. It seems like the ghost of uh, Santi has the ability to kind of see the future or know what's gonna happen. Cause he said he tells who's the main lead? Is his name Carlos? Is that right? Uh yes. I think so. Carlos and Jaime. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Because Jaime is the kind of the one that begins as the bully. Yes. Anyway, uh, but he tells, uh, Santi tells Carlos that a lot of you are going to die before the whole explosions and all that stuff. So it's kind of interesting, like, are ghosts all knowing beings now or like interesting? I don't know. Hmm. I kind of wonder if it's because they're no longer attached to the things that we attach to as people. Because as people, we make excuses for things in order to like continue taking in. I, I don't want to say abuse because like sometimes just toxicity or whatever. 
but we feel obligated to take that because we're still carrying our like traumas and our baggage and our issues and go through a whole different situation. And they're like, I am beholden to nothing <laughs> aside from whatever the thing is that's tying me to this space. So I don't care about what my mother said to me when I was 12. And if that means I can't leave this boyfriend. <laughs> I feel like perhaps that's why, because things, things are never really not obvious. If we look, look at it long enough, we've never been like, now that I leave this job, I see how awful it was. You knew it was awful when you were there or whatever your circumstances are. And so I feel like the ghosts are just like, I don't have time to stall. I don't have time to figure out why I feel obligated. I need you to know this is what's going to happen because these are the mistakes you're on. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what Santi is there. So he's watching Jacinto Mm -hmm. the whole time. He knows the plan. He knows what they're going to do. This gives me a whole new vocabulary, like a definition for ghosting now, because (laughs) these ghosts are very communicate. They're communicating. They're present. They're telling you what's going on. So now I'm like, should we use ghosting anymore? Because um or should we be casting them because they're good listeners they're really good listeners so yeah so now we need to come up with a new phrase but yeah i think what yeah santi's watching this whole thing take place and i I mean that's how i felt about it i think he was Mm. he was doing that protecting them in some way all right are we all good with our dosed notes (laughs) it was really 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 fun to well i don't know fun or devastating maybe a little bit of both because like we went in for a ghost story and again, we have our own American baggage of ghosts are evil. And then like you, you find out the gag towards like the end of the movie where it's like, no, this ghost came to be because of this situation. Um, the ghost is not who you should be afraid of, Charlie. <laughs> you should be afraid of the person that has cut you and has been harming you and your friends. That's what you should be afraid of. The living are frightening. They're the worst. They're the ghosts. Well, and it kind of talks, it kind of hits on like um, the idea of like, what are, what are you really scared of? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think specifically for Jaime, I think that's how I pronounce it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. He seems to be displacing his fear of, is it Jacinto? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Displacing his fear of Jacinto onto the ghost of Santi and also the trauma of watching santi die um and it yeah it, it, i'll get to more of his character in a minute but like it's interesting I, I think he also goes into jaime's need because what what i'm seeing in jaime is this need to is it's this need to perform toxic masculinity because that's what he's seeing and so that's what he needs to embody for himself and so instead of him being like i have feelings i saw this man kill my friend he's like no i'm going to sort of follow in this man's footsteps <laughs> unwittingly in weird ways even though that makes no sense but again children and like especially gender roles especially in the 30s I can't even and so he's like this is just the way of the world and so of course he's a little bully and a little asshole because he's like I have to perform these things this is what I've seen it's him or the doctor and the doctor's nice but nobody wants to grow up to be the meat man who has somebody living under their roof that sleeps with a boy um so I feel like it's as much as I wanted to hate him, especially because he said a bunch of things, I it, the performance of toxic masculinity is a thing that is ongoing in all countries at all times. Yeah, part of me is like, who would he go to? No. <laughs> who would he talk to? I did have hope for Conchita. Didn't we all? I'll get to her later. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we we kind of talked about our go- you know, my like my feeling about the ghost and the way you know how people and objects and things still haunt us and how they kind of like sit with us but my big my biggest note that i still think about when i think of the devil's backbone is that gerber baby juice i i have so many questions <laughs> I, that's how i title it because i it was weird because i was like okay so there's a life that wasn't complete what is so dead baby you know this dead baby this life that wasn't i, I don't even know like you're drinking the juice the per- i don't even know now i'm just concerned <laughs> that whole scene when he, <laughs> I can't. What? How? What? What? I, mm, it's that this, this, supposed to help you, and then you're gonna tell a young child that it helps you with your pee pee, with your Piccadilly problems. Like, <laughs> um, is but like, is that safe? 
I it's don't got like okay. I'm also going to ask this question because I I don't know a lot of like architectural like what this is. What was that pool of water that Santi's dead body was in? Is that's not their well, is it? They're not drinking dead body juice like all the time. Was the thirties? <laughs> <laughs> I have more hope for the thirties. We see the water when he goes to get water, so they're pulling the water from something else. I don't know if it was used as like to like power something, you know, like if they were using that water as like powering and um that's it also, i don't know it also looked like there was like a ramp and a hole like a like a, you could see outside and mm-hmm. like a like a a ramp going down into it so i was like is this like a drainage like from when it rains so they don't flood yeah could have been a dilapidated part of the situation that like might have had like a giant situation that kept collecting water Maybe. I was just worried that they were drinking dead body dead body water <laughs> this whole time. Yes. And then I saw him drink that dead baby juice and I was like, what is Spain? What is going on? <laughs> I don't know. I almost texted my family. I've been like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> what is happening over there? Not for all the Piccadillys in the world. <laughs> but he said it and he called he said it was rum. So is it like alcohol? Yeah. <laughs> did they get, it was did like they an get alcohol sitting with the they believed in its power of like and also why was the spine of the i mean i get devil's backbone it's got you know i get that but like why was the spine out it was so gross it wasn't a complete the baby uh was born deformed and and had problems so like it was like but there was still power in it like i'm like you're talking about stem cell because that's a whole different thing (laughs) um you few decades behind on that or ahead on this thing. You might need to hold off. Yes. That yeah. is why we have civil war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a note about the nasty baby rum too. So <laughs> I will I will just include that in your in our discussion here. But like, yeah, I and, and then they didn't they didn't go anywhere else with it. And I was like, I I won't I don't what? <laughs> oh, I guess they, they did like go out into the town and sell it, and that's when they saw them executing all those people um so they did yeah but it was just so gross it's like i can't handle this del toro what have you done to me what have you done (laughs) i mean that was my only other you know well i mean i had more notes but i don't know if you guys felt this or somebody else wanted to go i just jumped it but uh did this feel like the bachelor in spain civil war for anybody i was like how many love connections are there here right and there's hardly anybody there. Again, it goes back to people not having TV and mm. not valuing reading. And so it's like, I guess I'm gonna go sleep with this person because how else am I gonna get through this Friday night? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that the, the love connections also kind of forced every character, all the adult characters anyways, into a gray area more of morality. Because at first, uh, well, I can't remember the headmistress's name, Oh, Carmen. Remember, Carmen. Carmen. Uh, I really liked Carmen. And I was like, okay, I'm, yeah, she seems really care Like she's stern, but caring. But then the scene where she's having sex with uh, Jacinto, who is a gorgeous man. I don't blame her for that. And then he's like, you've been making, she's been like kind of forcing him to do this since he was 17. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, ah. that was weird. I also don't know how much I believe him because like he said, she's been making him do since he was 17. But he's also an asshole who cuts children. So because of that, it sort of like, excuse me on if I believe him. Because typically I automatically believe the person, but he turned a lot of things around this movie. Yeah, like what That's did true, he but she, she didn't deny it. I mean, if you're sleeping with a 17 year old in your charge, you should feel some guilt. But I'm just wondering <laughs> how much of that was her feeling guilty for doing it as opposed to him actually being right. Because again, he... He murders children, so I can't just be like clearly on his side of anything. He kills so many people. He is the problem. He is the real villain of the I mean, film. Yeah, truly. Why did but, he leave? That's my question. Yeah, like leave. And how do you apply for a job there? Yeah. The thrifty nickel. What do you do? like? Yeah. <laughs> hey, looking for someone out here, middle of nowhere, not sane. Right. Checks out. Everything checks out on right. track for this job. I kind of wonder if he went after her knowing that she was a woman who had the one leg and knew where the gold was. Well, because he was there in the orphanage as a child. Yeah, he grew up there. So to me, I'm like, why stay? Like, 
I think it was a long con. I think, I think it was a long con. to get the money in. And also, yeah. I love why she knew she was being used. She had the gold the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Also, her and her husband have separate rooms. And so I think that a what young else? man. He's not the doctor's not her husband. Was just the doctor. Her husband's the doctor's just in love with her. Yeah. I am less. I am less gagged then by him having to listen to them do this every night because I was like, he's in the next room. Look, it was like Mississippi's <laughs> though. I was like Jacinto. I don't know if you need Gerber juice, but like I was like one Mississippi two. That's it, sir. Okay, but um, um yeah, but yeah, because they talk about at one point Jacinto is telling is being really rude to Carmen. And saying, you know, you've got, you have me come in here to please you because the uh, the doctor is impotent, so he can't do anything for you, and your husband's dead, and the doctor is like madly in love with her, but can't please her because he can't. It, it's all just. So- I, mean, I don't want to get into it, but the doctor could have done other things, and they could have worked on some other stuff. They were not communicating. That's very true. <laughs> he didn't need Gerber juice or anything specifically with the Piccadilly. He could have just put in some work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but yes, so my my first note is not original because it's the same note we always have, which is stop lying to the fucking children in horror movies because nothing good comes from it. How do you not tell this little boy his dad is dead and you leave him at an orphanage? How's that a conversation? Right. And even even the doctor has a chance to tell him and he doesn't even tell him. No. No. Because why would they? Why would they? Um, that was a theme I saw along with Del Toro's love of films about ghosts and orphanages. I mean, we all have an aesthetic, but I wonder, I wonder about this aesthetic. I do. I wonder if something simply draws him to orphanages as opposed to just having these boys be elsewhere. Did anyone else notice that he dedicated this film to his mom and dad? Yeah, I saw my parents because that was one of my questions. Like, where are your parents at? Like, just said it to them. I'm like, are they in? Well, like, you and your orphanages. I have questions. I have questions. <laughs> but maybe it's an easy way to get kids in the same room who have no parents checking in on them. I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe, maybe so. Del Toro is one of those movie or filmmakers that you know it's a del toro like you know this is a this is a del toro film even even the orphanage which we found out he didn't direct or write or anything but he produced it you know that he had a hand in it <laughs> and that writer's a friend of his and so i'm sure there were some consultations even if it isn't like that even it yeah because like if you're gonna like ask your friend who's a writer director producer <laughs> to do something you're gonna be like here read the script what are your thoughts and maybe right. But yes, he definitely has a very distinct style. Um, one of one of the first things I want to discuss or get out of the way in films in general, the use of the F word. For those of you that don't know, I'm not saying I'm not counting fuck. (laughs) That's not the F word. Yes, yes, yes. And other and other queer slurs because that happens a couple times in this film by Jaime um, calling Carlos um, names in this film specifically it did not it always bothers me but it did not um, I didn't I didn't question why it was there there are some films that I think that they use those derogatory terms in ways that aren't necessary or like don't need to be there like the one that always comes to mind which some listeners out there may remember, but um, in Freddy versus Jason, Kelly Rowland very um, historically um, called Freddy Krueger a faggot. In, in that moment, I was like, what What are you doing? Like, there's questions of, was that improv? Was that written into the script? We don't know. I hope that it was written for Kelly's sake because I would hope that she would not do that. Be written in because like, how do you let a slur just drop on your set and not say anything? Right. Especially on film. Right. But in this film, it, it 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 still bothered me, which I think it's supposed to, but it's used in a way that I mean any boy or girl, whoever growing up, you heard it, you you might have said it, might have called somebody it. So as problematic as it is, I did not I didn't take a huge issue with it in this film specifically. But I do think we need to talk about it. When, it, when they are used, just like we would if it were a racial slur, you know, or any kind of slur. Like the R word is another one that I hate that people use a lot in older films. 
but but I do feel like if it if it would have normally been used in that situation and you're trying to say something with it, then that deems it, it I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I think this went back to this particular character performing toxic masculinity. Yes. Oh, definitely. I do think part of that is because he's afraid of Santi and afraid of what he's seen and afraid of what he knows. And so I think that he is definitely overcompensating. I, I always pause when I hear something derogatory because it's literally everywhere. Like, name me a rom-com where they don't take a stab at like fat people or queer people. Name me, name me a horror movie where that doesn't happen. Um, and so I, I always pause and I always like wonder about it and I always wonder about the writer. Again, because this was in the 1930s and because it was about boys' school and we know kids are assholes, especially about boys. I was like, it's unfortunately authentic. I'm going to not hit pause on the movie this time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, those terms are, sorry, we're just dancing. Ahead, right? We're dancing, Trent, with our words. <laughs> I love it. You know, derogatory terms, like in races, things that are said is to take people's power away from them. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, and definitely the people I notice, and you see it in our everyday life, the people who say it are coming from, they're scared. They're, they have no educational knowledge of what they're doing, or they, they don't feel like they have any way of winning in this situation. So now they have to take your power away because that's the only, they can't physically do it. They have to do it in this way. And I think that's what he does. Like Jaime's scared. And he's emotional and he's like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I can't do that. I'm not a man. I have to be a man. And these are the things I'm told to be a man. And how do I make you less than me? Yeah. Your power away. And it's using those words. And you're talking about like, I was thinking about the film in that moment that, you know, what you just said. And it's like, yeah, what was she going to do in that thing? I'm just going to try to take something away from you um, to make, you know, you're sitting and now I can stand. So it's like how we use that and why people think it's what we need to keep doing especially because it almost always comes from a toxic man. Like, you're a woman on the internet, Amanda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're familiar with adults. <laughs> yep, I see him under the bridge. I've occasionally thrown a crumb. Right? No, I, Wendy West of Shrill, um, she encountered a troll before she became Wendy West of Shrill, back when she was just like your typical average writer trying to like make ends meet in California. And this troll was just always like, you fat bitch, you fat this, you fat that. And because... She used to it. She didn't think anything of it until the troll started getting like super hardcore evil about her father's cancer. And then like the troll called in on like a radio show and they had this like weird moment where she was like, why do you feel the need to find me to do this? Why are you doing this? And they had this like weird little conversation where he was like, because I felt impotent and powerless in my own life and making you feel like shit helps me feel like a person. And it actually made me like shrill, the actual show. And I... That's what I've always wondered about the trolls who attack us on the internet. Because again, as a woman on the internet, I I don't know what life is like to not have a troll tell me that my experience or like my thoughts don't mean shit because I'm a fat bitch. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> and so I, again, toxic masculinity is in the water. Um, and so this kid is picking it up so he can feel better and empowered. And, and, I, I, think, and I think the reason that it doesn't give me huge issues with this I hate the word, but I don't hate them, this movie because of the word. Because they actually gave Jaime a, a, a character development that deemed that necessary. Like, if they, had just, if they had just told him he was a bully and just left it there, that's it, I would have been like, that's stupid. But they actually gave him, a, you under, you, they gave him a reason to understand why he was a bully and why he had to feel, like what, what Amanda was saying, that this trauma that he watched, you know, Santi being murdered essentially um, and then how do you how do you deal with that as a child and then yeah you you go to the extreme of the toxic masculinity and you try to start performing it and i think if they hadn't made that if they hadn't made that statement uh-huh. thematically had made that m- a moment i would have not liked this movie because of that word if that makes sense whereas now i don't because i actually made a statement about it what i do wonder because like we're all creators here we all do the arts and i do wonder about like this and because you brought up Freddie versus Jason and movies, etc., is why writers make these choices when there are other ways of getting these things across. Because they always tell you it's part of this character, so you know who this character is. But there's other ways of showing a character's an awful human being that do not use slurs or do not do something offensive. 
And those are more interesting choices. And it doesn't make some of us pause. Because like the writer Freddie versus Jason, we don't even know who wrote it. We just know Kelly Rowland said it. I don't know Kelly Rowland's name. So it feels like people are coming for her when we bring it up because nobody's going back to that movie. <laughs> and, so, and so I feel like when these things are in there, we have these weird conversations and we have these weird character views as opposed mm-hmm. to giving them something that actually is not this. Unless, of course, that's what the film or book is about. Like, if it's going to be about people who use slurs and are racist bigots, then by all means. But if you're trying to paint a different landscape, then make a different choice. Do something yeah. else. He was yeah. going to cut this little kid. That tells me he's a bully. I didn't need him to also be like, couple slurs, don't forget. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, and I do think we need to empower performers to be able to say, hey, why is this word here? Like, why... Because I, I, I still, you know, even if it wasn't written in the script, why didn't Kelly Rowland say, hey, I have a lot of gay fans. Maybe I shouldn't say this word. <laughs> I think it's because it's been normalized. Because again, it is literally in every rom-com. It is in every horror movie. It's in random drama movies. And we yeah. always say it's just natural conversation. But like my natural conversations don't contain slurs. Those of my friends talking to me don't contain slurs. I don't know what y'all do when I don't talk to y'all, but I would hope you're not out there going, when Sheree leaves, we're going to drop nine inwards because I've been waiting all damn day. <laughs> so I, I just feel like we have yet to let it go. We've so normalized toxicity and hatred that we have. It's in the water. It's literally in the water. And it's why so many of us spend so much of our time in our like positions explaining why something's problematic and the rest of the company or whoever not getting it because they're just like we don't understand why you care and it's because it's an actual issue and here's nine articles on it and they're yeah. just like, people are overly sensitive but it's like no you're overly racist and yeah. you're preventing you from seeing this and and i will say that especially you know with the two films we've mentioned with these slur with that we use but Shrey's right it's in everywhere were made in like the early 2000s and so hopefully these artists have grown and adapted and changed in the 10, 20 years since they since these movies have been released. So, you know, I'm not coming for Del Toro today. <laughs> I just think let's, let's reflect on what Del Toro did however many years ago. Yeah. I seek my next note, and I don't know if y'all can give me some guidance on this and other <laughs> Why does Santi wait so long to get everyone's attention? Like, why is it like the new kid on the block has to show, is it because there's like new innocence and there's no, like, there's more openness to it? Like maybe somebody will be open to that, but I'm just like, Santi, what, bro, you been chilling, making water splashes <laughs> at the Schlitterbahn <laughs> and nobody's paying attention to you? <laughs> we also don't know how long it's been. I don't, I don't think, because at first I thought, oh, this is a jump into the future. But no, it seems like it's only just a couple of years. If that, it might have been a couple of weeks, months, because they literally put the new kid in Santi's bed and the other kids are like, that's Santi's bed. And so I feel like this is a new ghost story they've started to because like a kid went missing and they were like ghosts. And of course, like our time is like, yeah, don't go down there, but I think happen when you go down there. <laughs> and so I think that it's maybe the course of a couple of months. Max. Yeah. Max. Well, and, it, and it's really interesting because they they call Santi the the one who sighs or the the sighing one or something like that. So they know he's there, and they think the sighing one is who killed Santi or did something to Santi. Little do they know that Santi is the, whatever. But yeah, so I think he's been trying to get their attention from since since it happened. But they're all like, "Well, what's a ghost? Leave us alone!" Ooh, you know. <laughs> I kind of think Carlos is just more in tune because, again, they put him in that weird area playing the prank on him. So he had to interact with the ghost. And then, of course, it's like, well, I have questions and I want to prove myself to my new hopeful friends. <laughs> so I'm going to get to the bottom of this ghost situation as opposed to them being like, Santi's gone, weird shit happens, there's a sighing ghost, we don't go outside anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I guess it focuses on the actual, yeah, the people who actually believe, right? So it seems to be the thing, like, even the little Simon in the orphanage and like other ones, like the people who are most open to seeing it mm-hmm. and being receptive well, of it. Right, and Carlos wouldn't be as scared of it because he's new. He doesn't know it's there. And so in the beginning, before the first time he sees it, when he goes to get the water and all that stuff, he doesn't know there's a ghost. He doesn't know that there's a, he's, you know, and then he sees someone and he thinks it's a person. And then 
he like he that the special effects i'll get to this in a minute but like the special effects of the blood from santi's head gorgeous the whole thing it still holds up 20 years later marvel could never (laughs) it's so good but yeah no i think i think it's a combination of that carlos just isn't he's, he's not as unreceptive of it if that makes sense yeah the next point I'm going to get to is that the one guy I would swipe right on in this orphanage is, of course, the villain who cuts and murders children, uh, has an affair in the, with a woman in the room next to who is not her husband, but I thought was her husband, and then announces their business in front of everybody, including his girlfriend, fiance, and then kills his girlfriend, fiance, because she won't pretend to grovel at his feet at the end of it. And so I... But I guess, again, that goes back to us having, like, these perceptions of people. And so we're like, ooh, this handsome man, I'm going to follow him, and him being the worst. Yeah, the only good thing going for him is he had a job. So. <laughs> Which, a lot to ask for, apparently. A lot to days. ask for at this point, yeah. <laughs> I, and I will say, just script-wise, the evolution of my perception of, the, of his character was really well paced because at first I was like I kind of felt bad for him because he was talking about how he feels trapped in this place and he's never been able to leave and he just wants to get out of here and I'm like okay I feel bad for you dude and then we see him kind of uh when they play that prank on Carlos and like break the water the water jug outside he comes up and like you don't really see everything he does to him but uh clearly attacks him and then, but then at that point, I'm like, well, maybe he's just being really stern because he doesn't want the kids to get hurt, be out at night. But then you see him and he cuts him and I'm like, oh, wow, you're being real rude now. And then you see the sex scene, which you're like, oh, damn, he is sexy. And so it's like the build of, oh, damn, he is really fucking evil is yeah. was really nice. Now I'm here for a villain that we don't know is going to be the villain when we're about to deal on him. And then he ends up blowing up the whole damn orphanage. Oh, that's a turn. That's a turn. For real, for real. It's that greed, though, you know? Yeah. While I'm mentioning the blowing up of the orphanage, this was this was the moment I really, 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 really hated is when Conchita catches him about to do it, and she has the gun on him, and she doesn't shoot him, because women are always written to hesitate for the man they love, even if he is wrong and a villain and if I can blow them all up. They can't ever just shoot first and be like, caught you. <laughs> and it, I hate that because in the real world we're capable of thinking of ourselves in a life or death situation but when men write us we are not and it's supposed to be romantic and it's supposed to be like oh emotions but no no we want to live <clears throat> I had a moment where she was holding the gun and I was like yep still gay shoot him like immediately <laughs> 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 that would have been me I would have been like you know what I don't care how he is like he about to blow y'all up and you're just going to hesitate and let him have a whole little moment <laughs> right. because written by a man. Um, even though I love this movie, it's an amazing film. That's just, that's one of the times I stepped forward and was like, definitely written by a man again. Shit. <laughs> um, oh, and the moment when he gets jealous of Jaime, when Jaime gives the little like ring to Conchita. And I was like, what do you, it, it's a child. Let him do his thing. Like whatever. Uh, and she had to be like, it's chill, it's child things. Like, masculinity says nobody can be nice to the woman you're abusing. <laughs> it won't let that coexist with what you're doing to her. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, she's gonna leave you for the eight-year-old. Like, <laughs> it's like, how dare you tell her she might be worth something or a person? Don't be nice to her. I'm going to hit her later. Right. Oh. So just visually, this film is so gothically gorgeous um, and everything feels like a ghost trapped in time like the bomb that never exploded obviously the ghost the headmistress and the doctor who have been here it seems like they've just been stuck in this place like everyone in this film besides maybe the children feel like they're stuck the adults all feel like they're stuck and it, it just looks like a picture in time that just never changes and I, I really like that um, visually for this film because of that feeling, I would not have been surprised if at the end of the movie, it just sort of restarted itself. Because I thought that's where it was going. <laughs> because everybody does feel stuck and they do feel trapped and it is very claustrophobic. And you're like, just stop, just go. Hot right. man, don't hurt these kids. 
And so it did feel like it was on loop, like a purgatory situation. Right. And it is, and it is really interesting that because the historian I was watching on the special features on the Blu-ray was talking about how everything visually um, represented a part of the Spanish civil war. So like Jacinta is like the dictatorship, the uh, the, the doctor and Carmen and Conchita are like the people, uh, the rebels or whatever, the people who want de- democratic uh, rule. And then the children are all the people stuck in the middle. And at the end of it, when they're walking out and that, and that line is being re- uh, performed, it's almost like the people getting out of the war and not knowing what the future brings. Um, for those of you that don't know, a dictatorship won this uh, that civil the Spanish Civil War, so they had a dictatorship for another, I think, up until the sixties. So yes. that's sucky. Um, but yeah, it was it's just yeah beautifully historically made and represented, and I yeah yeah no <sighs> I'm just having a moment. I'm just thinking of everything that's happening now, <laughs> and. Like, I feel like so many people are stuck and I'm like, dang, why did this film just put me in that place again? For real. Maybe that, maybe that is the move though, because like history repeats itself because societies don't work. So (laughs) unfortunately it's going to be timely forever. Really interesting when this film came out, it was right around the time when the Spanish people were coming to terms, isn't the right word, but I can't think of a better one, with that civil war like they were digging they were trying to find their ancestors trying to find their remains and uh they were just mass graves and so they were digging them up and this is all where this film is coming out it's all happening at the same time um so that's that's really interesting time timing of the release of the film and culturally where spain was at at the time yeah yeah it's a history lesson via art, which we, we talk about doing a lot over here in America, but we don't actually. Powerful. Um, I think my only note, really, like my last note was like, I need to meet the casting directors for these films because these children actors are fire. Mm-hmm. We can't even get Disney Channel stars to make the logo of the, the, Mickey, the mouse, okay? Like, I'm concerned. <laughs> you got a go-gurt and you can't even make a symbol. Like, I just need you to... But I mean, I, I'm blown away by these children, like these actors, because I feel like most of the time I'm like, oh, here we go, here we go, little little orphan Annie, let's see it. But I, <laughs> I'm so invested in them and their stories and they believe so much in the text and the stories and I'm just, I, I love it. Yeah. I love them. Oh, wait, they're not from, Mar- okay, checks out, yeah. One of my favorite moments with the kids in the very beginning when, um, I can't think of their names, but it's the two that aren't Jaime, the two that like actually have speaking lines. Um, oh, Al and um, right, and then the kid's nickname, Little Al, and oh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Owl, and I forget what the other one's name is, but and he's like, my name is so and so, and this is so and so. He doesn't say things. He he doesn't say things. He just stares. <laughs> <laughs> he's just quiet. <laughs> I I appreciate a movie that lets kids be kids while also getting to what it's going to do. Because if you're going to use kids, you definitely have to capture them at that moment and that age. Um, and I, I like when places, I like when people can do that, especially when writers give them that moment or moments. Because so often you see kids who are little bitty adults or little bitty props, like in a soap opera, where it's like, here's our baby, send him to his nanny. We'll never see him for eight years. Um, <laughs> and so if you're going to use it, much like, much like a gun in theater, if you're going to pull a kid out, you have to use it for story purposes and own up to the fact that they are at this age and they have these thoughts and these ways of speaking and like this need to belong and all of those other intricacies that go into that. Right. And they, and they depicted childhood accurately. You know, they didn't try to, they didn't try to sugarcoat. (laughs) They didn't try to sugarcoat anything. You know, like, like we were talking about earlier, the slurs and the stuff they were throwing at each other. They were, the bullying, the hierarchy, you know, the mischief, the mischievousness, you know, there are things that kids get into all the time and they didn't try to shy away from that. So I thought that the depiction of children was, was great. And the acting was perfect. Yeah. Like I, I, the acting is always amazing. I said always, we've seen two Del Toros and one executive produced, but so far the acting has been amazing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Ghost children, man. 
Ghost Children for Oscars. That's all I got to say about that. Well, there, no, there's no, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I need to actually see what the equivalent of an Oscar is in Spain. We keep doing this. This is the second week in a row where I was like, or the equivalent. Before we revisit Emmy del Toro, I will do that Googling so we can get to whatever it's called. But also, I guess my last note, I, I sort of touched on it in the general notes, is I, I love the allusion to literature because like up top, when he's thrown into this orphanage, <laughs> well, abandoned in this orphanage, like he's reading the Count of Monte Cristo and of course the doctor helps him pick it up and talks about it and gives him spoilers with no warnings, which is rude. Um, and you definitely have a Lord of the Flies vibe when they attack <laughs> this villain with sticks to help Santi get his revenge. Um, and of course the gold drowns him, which is also very, 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 very juicy as far as like <laughs> plot goes. The thing he was chasing helps kill him. And so like, I, I love the illusion of literature and I love the way that it's used without it being the focal focal point. It's never like, don't forget we mentioned this novel. Don't forget we talked about this. We're gonna now give you the exact same plot as Peter Pan because we mentioned it up top. It's more of a, if you know, you know. We mentioned it once. We're gonna use some themes. We're not going to beat you over the head with it. It's not going to be a literature lesson. I think that's more impactful and it sort of reminds you if you haven't visited these things in a while, it might be something you're into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before, <laughs> I just thought about this. When Jaime draws the naked woman, <laughs> It's such a child thing, and like the vagina is in the. It <laughs> <laughs> tries to tell him that it's wrong, and he's like, "No, you're wrong. You're a child. You don't know anything." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> I'm surprised one day. I don't think it looks like that. <laughs> Not a highway, sir. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> but um, so. Yeah, but and my my last note was the makeup job on Santi is Fire. phenomenal. There's a whole special feature of just strictly about how Del Toro made Santi, and the idea of a broken China doll, and and he said that he and the makeup team would go back and forth for like months trying to get the correct amount of like how broken down is the doll. Mm-hmm can't you know like where is the hole where is the how does that all work and i it, it oh it's just so good and the, and the amount of detail in it and i think the reason it looks so good is that it's not cgi besides the blood the blood is cgi but the makeup is him yeah yeah they do the makeup on the child yeah. have to. and they even like gave him he was talking about how he specifically chose to give him tear marks and it's like rust it's yes. like yellow rusted material and they wanted to make his skin like super fluorescent white so that you could see that and like, oh, it's just so good. And then the moment when he walks in the moon and you can see his bones, like that was specifically chosen. Uh, it's all just, everything about Santi in this film is gorgeous. He says that this is his favorite, Santi is his favorite like makeup look. Oh, so good. Even more so than like all those fantastical creatures from Pan's Labyrinth, but he said this is his favorite. And a lot of care was taken with that makeup and this character because like the makeup does not make him look terrifying so much as confusing. <laughs> and so you're like, what's what's your story? You know, you sort of want to be like, are you are you the Casper of the situation? Oh no, you want revenge. But even his revenge, like he's holding on to the man who murdered him and. <laughs> as he's drowning. He's not like out here actively scaring him or biting at him. He's hugging him. And he's fighting, him, trying to fight to get the ghost off while also drowning because of the gold and he's tied himself. And so I think it's also a powerful means to have someone hug the person that you they said they wanted revenge against, to have them hold them until they die. That's also just really beautiful imagery. Right. I mean, he was like, I get that he didn't want to drown or whatever, but he was dead. Like there was, because isn't there an artery, isn't there like an artery in your armpit? Oh, yeah. The kid's up top stabbed him a few times. I mean, he, like, he, he was going to There's no doctor anymore because the doctor's dead. So, right. like, the kid's up top stabbed him. But, like, we could have easily been, like, and now Santi becomes a transformer and stomps on him like we would have been in America. <laughs> but instead, he was like, I'm going to wrap my arms around you and hold you as you die. And I just think that is, that's the ghost story I want from here on out. I want right. the ghost who says they want revenge, but also just hauntingly beautiful 
moment. And I, and I mean, it's a moment of true um, comeuppance for toxic masculinity because every uh, it's his actions that cause this. He it's his toxic toxicity that caused his own death. Because if he hadn't have killed Santi, number one, there wouldn't have been a ghost in the first place. If he hadn't have been uh, greedy with that gold, if he had, you know, like all these things, this is why you did this to yourself, essentially. Yes, sir. Yes. And how often do we tell a toxic man he needs to hug his inner moppet or get in touch with his inner child? True. True. Let's do some hot takes. Hot takes. Yes. Uh, you know, I was always, I've been sitting here with my, this hot take. I'm so, also, I just need to do more research on Del Toro, but like water and a lot of the things that we're seeing, like rainfall and water and this, the, the, the drought. So my biggest fear is drowning. So seeing Devil's Backbone is always kind of hard for me because it's like they're submerged in this water and going to die, you know? So, and then he did this movie called The Shape of Water, but we don't have to talk about that. Um <laughs> You know, but water is like symbolizes like what rebirth, new, new life, all these things, and like there's yeah, it keeps coming back, and I keep thinking about that. So that hot take is I need to do some more research on this, but um, I keep thinking about the water and like how that's it, how it all started, how it end, and does it stay? Yeah, everything that'll stay there, and does the hate stay too? Like Jacinto dies there, does he stay with the hate? Does and the doctor lives in the good, and the and Santi lived? What happens to them? What's what takes place in that you know in that new place? Um, right. Was, was when the that, kids leave. Yeah, that's my new thing. Is like this rebirth. What happens now? Was that the doc at the end? Was that the doctor? The the is he the one speaking? I, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. yeah. now he's the ghost. And he's <laughs> telling us his ghost story of like this is how we are here. <laughs> Thanks well, for coming. Here's my story. <laughs> Um, so my hot take, I wanted more for Conchita. I felt so bad for that character. Like what Shrey was saying earlier, like if she had just shot him and when she had the chance and, and when she dies, I wanted her to, to struggle more, to fight more, to survive. But instead, and I do like, I, I do like, especially when I watched the, the, um, historian talking about Conchita's death and the, and the um, symbolism with the um, Spanish Civil War. Um, I, did, I did understand it more from a, from a stylistic point, but I just wanted her to live. <laughs> I feel like her fighting would have not been as impactful for her death because this man's been abusing her for who knows how long. And she literally was like, I am going to watch this next town. It's 24 hours away. I'm going to do it. And so when he pulls up and he's like, just a pod, I'll let you live. She's like, no. And he's threatening her and she won't give him the satisfaction of watching her cry and beg. She's like, no, I said what I said. Right. I'm not scared of you. And if you shot, you better not miss. Right. And since they were talking about how, I just forgot his name. What's his name? Hacinta was the symbol for like the fascist regime. And, and so then I was like, okay, okay. That makes, that makes me feel better for her <laughs> that she died in resistance to fascism. I, I feel like her death was probably one of the few things I didn't have questions about as far as her character goes. Because a lot of it is like, why are you with him? Are you with him because he's the only person who's sort of age appropriate and attractive in your situation? I mean, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like I was saying earlier, we all have reason to put up with assholes and our own baggage. And we don't ever get to know what our baggage is. And so it's just like, Conchita, make better choices. Conchita, shoot the gun. And so I feel like this was the first time where she was like, I have agency. I am, I am not bothered. Stab me or let me go. <sighs> And I feel like that's, I wanted more of that Conchita and those final moments throughout the movie as opposed to when it's too late. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. My hot take is vastly different. When, so when Santi was knocking on the door all night instead of just walking through it, I wanted to know why he was such a polite ghost. Cause- <laughs> and he, was, 
he was banging on that door. It wasn't. Is everybody? Can everybody sleep through everything? Like, where is? I want to know what melatonin those kids are on because, <laughs> right? It's time for these. Is that baby Gerber juice? I don't know what they're putting in the soup, but like. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, he was banging on it and trying to open it, and I was like, just walk through. You a ghost? You're a ghost. Yeah, I kept expecting him to do that too. But I was like, maybe he can't do that in this world. I don't know. What kind of ghost is that? Because he's been like just doing whatever he wanted because he's dead. And now he's like, oh no, there's a door. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's what stops you? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess he is trying to be nice. He's not trying to scare Carl uh, Carlos. He failed because he chased him to a closet and banged on the door all night. That's not how you make friends. It was so funny that in the next morning when the maid opened the door and she screamed. Oh, <laughs> that maid, she made choices too. Didn't she? Yeah, why was she over there with that fire trying to be like, oh, let me use my apron to get this out. Like, girl, run! What? When I saw that go down, I was like, what is your problem? I know some of us freak out in like emergency, but you cannot run at something that's about to blow up with a towel. And the fact that those kids also are going to just stand there and watch, when you hear people yelling, everybody outside, it's going to blow up. That means everybody outside, it's going to blow up. That's not, <laughs> it's not cold. <laughs> They're not being funny. They're not like, blow up drill, blow up drill, everybody outside. It's like, no. Shit's I mean, like little do they know being outside did not help many of them either. So Some of them lived for not being in it, um, unfortunately. <laughs> not everybody. Some of them made it. Your odds are better not on top of the bomb situation. Yeah, that, that explosion moment was when I was like, oh, that was my oh shit moment in this movie. Yeah. Everything that happens after that, starting with that, is why I had to go back and rewatch the movie because I was like, the fuck? And then it's just, it's a whole different film. And everything is happening and there's chaos. And you're like, who, wait, huh? Whose ankle was that? <laughs> and so I, I was like, well, I'll be rewatching this. I'm going to stop trying to take notes. <laughs> I will go back. <laughs> And take better notes next time because I'm I'm in. And I, I I did have questions about like what everyone's job was inside of this facility. So of course you had the doctor who was the doctor. You had Carmen who was I like that we have not referred to his name. He's just the doctor. Uh, <laughs> Fine with that. El doctor. He's, he's the doctor and the ba- and the baby juice maker. Except oh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we won't go any further with that. Um, and then. You had the maid, but like, what was was Conchita like the cook? I feel like she might have been the cook, like the kitchen, because mm-hmm. that kitchen was nice. Yeah. And was was Jacinta? Was he like security? <laughs> he was just the random asshole you have to have on the staff. Otherwise, the security, staff. security. Right. He's definitely doing the hefty lifting, like whatever needs to be done around there. That space. Um, yeah. So he's like, oh, I bet he's like the mechanic, kind of like the heavy lifter, job doer, builder, if you got to get a gun. He's maintenance, he's operations, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. And yeah, Kachita is the one that like, also, what was that seed they were eating? (laughs) Choices all around. I was like, that does not look appetizing. And is that all you eat? (laughs) If you win an award, I guess you, you just take what you get for food. But not for me and Conchita, not for me and Carmen. Um, oh yeah, I remember that. The, the only comment I think I had to Sheree in that scene was like, "How do you know they're done eating? Quit taking everyone's plate." That's my biggest thing in a restaurant. You don't even ask me if my plate's done. But uh, if you want to see a real life horror movie, take my plate for me mid food. That's how it starts. <laughs> that's how it starts. Uh, but yeah, that's the devil's backbone. That is the devil's backbone. He does have one. Yes. Them babies had a lot of them. They make baby, they make baby juice out of them. Baby rum. <laughs> so grossed out. <laughs> when he drank it, I was like, Ugh. I might have to pause for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't believe what I had seen. I did not believe my own eyes. I was like, I didn't just see that. At first, I was like, he's not going to make this little kid drink this. He is not going to make this little kid drink. And then he <laughs> drank it. I was like, I'm still grossed out. <laughs> just <ugh. sighs> all right Sheree what we got going on next week awesome so next week well actually by the time this rolls out <laughs> it'll be the same week 
we have an interview with the producer, director, writer, co-lead of Scare Me, Mr. Josh Rubin. That will be dropping. It'll be dropping around the same time as this episode. So for those of you who get confused, make sure you're listening to two episodes this week. Whatever your order is, that makes you happy, do it. Follow your bliss, but two. And do you know what will help them in their confusion? If they follow us on social media. Ain't that a thing? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, follow it. Ain't that a thing? But for next week, for those of you who don't want to need this extra content we give y'all, I don't know why you wouldn't, but like live your life, live your truth. Um, for those of you who don't want no bonuses, um, our next episode, which is next week, which is our first season finale. Oh my God. Our little wow. show is going to be one season old. It'll be Black Christmas and it'll be just me and Trent. There's no guests. I'm sorry, y'all. I know. I know it's weird. It's so good, though. Um, and just to clarify, this is the 2019 version. So the newest Black Christmas. Yes, yes. I, isn't this also the first one with actual like Black people in it? the original did not have any i don't know about the 20 the middle one i haven't seen that one so i don't know i'll find it just to drag it because i'm pretty sure this is also an all-female director writer team so finally we have women written by women women writing women madness madness (laughs) oh where's the world coming to are they gonna use their weapons and have agency oh (laughs) (laughs) All right, but again, make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can email us at a nightmare on G- on what am I? Blah, blah, blah. Email us. June Street. <gasps> I think I might have had a stroke right then. I don't know. Uh, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us at a nightmare on fear street at gmail.com. Uh, make sure that you, if you're listening to us on your iPhone or maybe your computer, but you're using Apple Podcasts, just go on there, give us a little uh, review and a rating. Um, it helps people find us. We actually did get our first one the other day, our first review. Uh, we're very thankful for that. And it just, yeah, like I said, it helps people find us and so we can spread the fierceness everywhere. <laughs> all right thank you amanda for joining us oh this is fun i love it thank you for being our unofficial official co-host this season <laughs> yeah that was great i'm ready for 40 more films there we go Valentine's day is coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I don't have any plans so <laughs> all right and thank you all out there for listening make sure you stay fierce out there <laughs> bye Please.